Mark 16.6. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Amen. And this morning we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. So good morning. Happy Easter, Kettlebrook family. And if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Dan Kalman. I'm the site pastor for our Kewaskum location of Kettlebrook Church. Now, it uh, probably should also be mentioned that today is April Fool's Day. Um, and you don't have to worry because I am not much of a prankster. Uh, so I don't have any pranks planned for you. But, and that's mostly because I fear retribution. So, um, but I do find it fascinating the lengths that people will go to pull a prank and try to fool people. My brother worked uh, in a clinic with two doctors and when one of them went away for a week on vacation, uh, the other one took the opportunity, of course, as anyone would, to uh, drywall close the entrance to his office. And not only drywall closed, I mean, it took off the door molding, mudded, sanded, painted, and even put down new floor molding so that when he got back, he would not know where his office went. Uh, see, that's, that's commitment. And so if you, if you are a prankster and, and if you're here this morning, you're still looking for some ideas, I, I, t- I took the opportunity to gather a few for you guys. So uh, check it out here. So you could him, hang Kim Jong-un on the staff picture wall. That one made me laugh out loud. I thought that was hilarious. All right, next one here. Um, see, I love renovating, so you could, you could leave a surprise for somebody who is going to do the carpet after you. <laughs> All right, how about this next one? See, this is, this is fear of retribution. Your wife wouldn't, I don't, I don't know, maybe she might like a chicken soup shower. I'm not so sure. <laughs> and then this last one is hilarious. Uh, I mean, the lengths. You could, you could turn your coworker's office, your cubicle, into uh, an extra bathroom. I mean, it's complete. Like, there's like plumbing. That, I mean, there's a toilet seat on the garbage can. That made me laugh out loud. And so... If you, um, if, you, if you wanted to prank a church, though, I think that you, you could do this one here. So, whose church is it? <laughs> right? It's a good question. There, there's a couple churches in town I think you could pull that with. So, this, one, this next one I th- is my absolute favorite. So, here you go. Uh, so, for the low price of just under $3,000, uh, you could buy this dinosaur suit and uh, really scare the snot out of somebody. Um, and so then if you also wanted to really take it the next mile, you could buy the sound effect machine, take it to your office, and then really have some fun. And, and I want you to check out these guys uh, from Japan because they really they pulled that off, I think, pretty well. So check this out. Oh. kids now you know what to ask your parents for Christmas next year. <laughs> so 
it's 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 about commitment, right? You got to really you got to really commit to pull it off. And I think the bre- best pranks, the best fooled you uh, scenarios are the ones that are really well orchestrated. Well, this morning we are going to talk about a story that if it was meant to fool you, it, it was it was really poorly done. It's a story about skeptics, sinners, and scared people. It's a story about Jesus and the resurrection. And it's either a very flawed work of fiction or a very humble description of the truth. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Mark 16, uh, and that's on page 722. If you grab one of the red Bibles on the way in, if you'd like a red Bible, just wave at these guys and they would love to bring one up to you. And if you would like a Bible to keep, if you don't have a Bible or, or if you want one that's maybe easier to read, by all means, keep one of ours. We'd love, to, we'd love to offer that to you. So as you guys are turning there, I want to give you a little bit of detailed backstory this morning. Mark was a disciple of Peter's specifically, uh, and, and that's where he learned the narrative of Jesus' life. And we get the idea that Mark followed Peter around while Peter was doing ministry and that... Um, and he would write down uh, what Peter would, would all, what he'd be teaching and saying about Jesus. He copied it all down. And so in many ways, Mark's gospel needs to be seen through the eyes of Peter. And just before this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus had been betrayed in the garden, captured by soldiers, dragged before the leaders, disowned three times by Peter, and had been beaten, mocked, and crucified. And all that happened between Thursday night and late Friday afternoon. And the reason it's, it's important to know that timeline is because the next day was Sabbath, the day of rest. And, and technically, Sabbath actually started at sundown, at sunset, the evening before. And so there was a bit of urgency to take care of Jesus' body because you couldn't bury someone on the Sabbath. And so all of the Gospels say that it was Joseph of Arimathea who was a wealthy, prominent member of the Jewish council and who was also a secret disciple of Jesus who took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a new tomb that he had purchased for himself. And some women who had followed from a distance saw where Jesus was laid. And then it was sunset, and the Sabbath began. And so they waited. On the Christian calendar, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is called Holy Saturday. It's also called Black Saturday. And I think it helps us understand if we, if we actually try to put ourselves there in that moment. The disciples had fled and were in hiding. The women were gathered together and were in mourning. And everyone was probably exhausted from the whirlwind that had just happened over the last 48 hours. And then it was sunset. And the Sabbath was over. And, and that's where our text picks up. So let's read that together. Uh, let's, we're going to specifically be looking at Mark 16, verses 1 through 15. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And verse 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, who were mourning and weeping, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Well, before we go further, let's take a moment and pray together. So please pray with me. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, for us to dive into your word, and I ask that your word would speak. It would speak for itself, uh, that your, your word that is living and active would, uh, would penetrate our hearts, that we would see and look at the resurrection anew this morning, uh, that, our, that our hearts would be um, open to listening to your spirit speak. And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Skeptics, sinners, and scared people. If you were going to write a story about Jesus' resurrection, a story that was trying to convince people to believe, that, that's not the way you would write it. It's, not the way, it's probably not the way you would do it. Skeptics, sinners, and scared people are actually the very three groups of people that I would like us to look at this morning. And in fact, I think that there may be some of you here this morning that feel like you fit into one of those three categories. Maybe a skeptic. A skeptic of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. Or perhaps someone who totally identifies with the word sinner. That you feel like you have failed beyond hope. Or maybe scared. Scared about sharing about Jesus. And if that's the way you feel, or if you feel that in any way, you're actually in good company. Our passage is one of sinners, skeptics, and scared people. But it's also a passage of how they were transformed by the resurrection. And that's, that's the opportunity that we have. We have the opportunity to be transformed by the resurrection of Jesus as well. For skeptics to be challenged, for sinners to find grace, and for the scared to be called to mission. For skeptics to be challenged, for sinners to find grace, and for the scared to be called to mission. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. 
Before we move on, though, I want to address and talk about that big line that most of your Bibles had between verse 8 and verse 9, if you guys saw that. And what it's essentially saying there in that small print is that the oldest copies of Scripture that we have, the oldest manuscripts, don't contain anything or the verses after verse 8. It's a bit of a mystery, but scholars believe one of three things. That either Mark intended to end his gospel abruptly at verse 8, and yet early church leaders, uh, very, very early on, within a generation, decided that it needed a clearer ending. Or Mark had an original ending, but it was lost. And, and scribes tried to piece it back together using parts of the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, and even a little bit of the book of Acts. Or third, perhaps Mark was killed in Nero's persecution, and he never finished. It's all, it's all but certain, though, that Mark actually did not write those last verses after verse 8, that last group of verses. So why is it included in Scripture? Well, some of the earliest church fathers knew that, uh, and, and yet they still decided to clu- include those verses in Mark's Gospel with, with a, that special notation And I think that's basically because it's a summary of what we see in all of the other Gospels. And I think it also includes something very important, something Mark may have wanted us to see as a theme. Disbelief. Disbelief by everybody. And disbelief is not something that that you'd make up if you were trying to write a compelling story. In fact, having extra verses tacked on at the end of verse, after verse 8, uh, might be the very thing that makes a skeptic more skeptical and, and more skeptical about the resurrection. And so I think that's where we need to start this morning, with a challenge to the skeptics. And so one of the things I've shared a couple times before, and, and so I, forgive me if you've heard this one or if I've told you this one personally, um, is, is this, one of the things I used to do in my... Um, more ridiculous, younger days, was I used to like to fake accents in public to fool people. (laughs) Um, Younger and more ridiculous days. And so my friend and I, uh, we were driving in Chicago, and um, we were looking for an Irish pub. And we thought it would be hilarious if we decided um, to fake Irish accents and pretend to be from Ireland. So we started practicing our accents in the car, uh, and then uh, magically we found a place called Chief O'Neill's. And we're like, oh yes, this is happening. And so we walked in, confident as could be, and the bartender asked what we'd like to drink. And so, you know, I said, right, I'll have a Guinness. What are you going to have there, Johnny? I'll get a Guinness, all right, I'll have two Guinnesses, please. And then the bartender, I'll never forget, said, where are you from? <laughs> and when I heard him say from, <laughs> I, re- I heard his accent. <laughs> and I realized he was, he was Irish. <laughs> and my heart just stopped. <laughs> so I looked him in the eye and I said, Ireland. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so he asked what city and we made something up on the fly. And I could tell that he was kind of suspicious because uh, later uh, there was a rugby commercial that was on the TV behind us and uh, he asked, you know, is that Division One or Division Two? 
Now, that would be like asking any grown man in the United States if that was NFL or college. There's no way you could get this wrong. So I just remember kind of slowly swiveling in my chair, looked at the TV, and it said, Nike. And I was like, oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> we, we were definitely as confident as can be in our abilities to fake an accent, but two grown men who didn't know the difference between Division One and Division Two rugby didn't lend itself to our credibility. The first thing that we see in Mark 16 doesn't lend itself to making a very credible story. And back then, it made a skeptic even more skeptical. The very first thing we see are women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, who's also Jesus' mother, and Salome, who is the wife of Zebedee and the mother of the disciples James and John. And the reason that this calls the credibility of Mark's narrative into question is because in the first century, women were not considered credible witnesses. Sorry, ladies. That's just how it was back then. Consider, 98 years ago in this country, women couldn't vote. This was 2,000 years ago. Women were not considered credible witnesses. And yet, in all four Gospels, it's women who are told to be the first ones to witness the resurrection. Again, this is not something you would make up if you were trying to write a compelling story. The only reason Mark Mark would write something like this is if that was the way it actually happened, if women actually were the first witnesses to the resurrection. And Mark is wanting to challenge the skeptics. And uniquely, the women themselves are skeptics. (laughs) What were they doing? They, They were going to the tomb to find what? A body! a body that they could perform funeral funeral rites on. And when the angel says, you are looking for Jesus, he's not here. He actually says it with a negative tone. There's there's a bit of a rebuke in that. And, And Luke's version of the resurrection says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the men in this narrative are no better. Three times Jesus specifically told them in the Gospel of Mark that he was going to die and be raised on the third day. Three times. Now they just didn't get it. And it may be hard for us to understand looking at it from from this perspective, uh, from this side of the story, but things like the resurrection just didn't happen. People just didn't believe in things like resurrection even back then. And three times we see the men in disbelief. Verse 11, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. 13, these returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Verse 14, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And we see the same accounts in Matthew, Luke, and John. If Mark and early Christians were trying to fabricate a compelling story about a bunch, writing about a bunch of skeptics isn't the way to do it. Again, the, the reason for this to be in the gospel is all, at all is if this was the way it actually happened. And these same skeptics were transformed. And they went on to change the world proclaiming this news, this evidence of the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ, a message that the majority of them were killed for. 
And what was it that transformed these skeptics? They saw Jesus. They saw and believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And if you are a skeptic and have doubts about the resurrection, Mark's gospel, and specifically his resurrection narrative, is challenging you to believe. It's a challenge to the skeptic. Mark's resurrection narrative is also a message of grace for the sinner. If you feel like that word sinner defines you, take a look at this. Verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he has told you. That, that single line offers so much grace to the sinner. Why? Well, if we were to flip back a page, what, what is the very last thing that we see Peter doing? The, the last conversation that, that he had with Jesus went like this. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then just a handful of verses later when he's confronted about his relationship with Jesus, Peter says, it says, he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you were talking about. Pastor Tim Keller uh, tells us to really consider the angel's message to the women from Jesus. He says, consider what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say... You tell those faithless, backstabbing cowards that I might see them if they grovel, and they better grovel if they have any hope of me reinstating them to the movement. No, that's not what Jesus says. The message was, tell disciples and Peter, and Peter, to go and meet me in Galilee. Remember, Mark's gospel needs to be seen through the eyes of Peter. If Jesus' message had simply been, tell the disciples to go and meet me, Peter could have said, no, you guys go on. He, he doesn't want to see me. Not after what I did. I'm, I'm not worthy of being there. I did the most dishonorable thing I could do to Jesus, and my sin was way too great. You guys go. Peter, Peter didn't even have the opportunity to repent, to ask for forgiveness even for his sins for his sin of betraying Jesus. And the sentiment could have been that there are some sins that Jesus won't forgive you for, like betrayal. But Jesus invited Peter. Jesus extended forgiveness before repentance. That's the definition of grace. It's a message from Jesus. <laughs> Peter could have he could have found his identity in being a sinner, but instead he found his identity in being forgiven and being invited to meet with Jesus. And if you have found your identity in being a sinner, uh, Mark's resurrection narrative offers a message of grace. It's a message from Jesus saying, come and meet with me. I've invited you. And there is no sin that can stand against my grace. So cast off the identity of sinner 
and embrace the identity of one who has been forgiven through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And lastly, what we see in Mark's resurrection narrative are people who are scared. They are truly scared to death. Look, look again at verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It's, it's not hard to imagine um, that the men um, were doing much better. Um, they were no better. <laughs> Where were they? They were hiding. John's Gospel says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And I I think we can get the idea, too, that they probably had the the blinds drawn and, and the door barricaded. They were scared. They were terrified. Uh, my cousin Andy and his wife actually had an experience a little bit like that. A couple of years ago, in the middle of the night, someone started pounding and pounding on the door to their apartment in Waukesha. And he kept beating the door, swearing and screaming and beating it over and over and over uh, and screaming someone's name. And I think even he had gone back to his car and gotten a crowbar and started working at the door. And, and my cousin Andy and his wife called 911. They, they loaded the guns and, and they prayed. Uh, and praise the Lord, uh, the door held. And, um, and I have an after picture here for you guys of the door, if you can see that. That's the front, that's the front of the door and that's the side of the door. Scared to death. And I think that gives us a good picture of the fear and terror of the women and the disciples. Scared to death. They were deathly afraid. But Jesus tells them, go. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And there's this invitation to mission despite fear. And and maybe that's how some of you feel. Deathly afraid when it comes to talking about Jesus, that you believe in him, but that maybe you're scared to death of sharing about him. And sometimes I hear people say that they struggle with sharing their faith. And I think there's a reason why they struggle with that. And that's because they're trying to do exactly that. They're trying to share their faith. Our faith is often a work in progress. Right? There's areas where it's lacking. Sometimes our faith is weak or areas where it's not that strong yet. Well, here's the good news. Jesus didn't call us to go around and get people to follow us. It's about getting people to follow Jesus, the one we follow. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and share your faith. He said, share the good news. The good news that Jesus has risen from the grave. He is who he said he was. And he has done what he said he would do. He's invited us and called us, though we may be scared, to go on the mission of proclaiming who he is. Today is Easter Sunday, uh, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus And yes, today also is April Fool's Day. But the resurrection of Jesus is not a well-constructed story to try to fool us, even though it at first appears to be full of foolish things and foolish people. See, God has chosen to use 
things considered foolish to transform the world, including skeptics, sinners, and scared people. This here is what the Apostle Paul says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Mark's message For the skeptic, the sinner, and the scared is a challenge to believe, a message of grace, and a call to mission. And the skeptic, the sinner, and the scared, uh, they're all in here. So I have a feeling that there might be some in the room this morning as well. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead for the skeptic, the sinner, and the scared And that's the message that we are to proclaim. It's not just good news for folks back then. It's still good news today. No matter who you are, this message is for you. And the message is that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everything that you have done for us in Jesus Christ everything you have done for us in sending your son to die in our place and to be raised so that we too can experience newness of life now, but ultimately that same resurrection that we can look forward to everything that you have planned for us. And Father, I know that in probably many ways, little, little ways even, probably all of us have elements and areas of our lives where we are skeptics, sinners, or or scared. And Father, we want to lay that before you. We want to receive the challenge of the message of the resurrection. We want to receive the grace of the message of the resurrection. And we want to hear and receive and follow the mission that was birthed at the resurrection, that Jesus Christ has has been risen from the dead. That is the message, Father. And I ask that that message would permeate our lives and that you would, we would follow you on that mission of proclaiming that good news. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.